0: Good afternoon, everyone, or good evening, if you're in Jerusalem. Uh, My name is Nathan Diamond, and I'm the executive director for the Orthodox Union Advocacy Center. And um, we're very pleased today to be joined by uh, our good friend, uh, and in my case, candidly, Mishpacha, uh, Ambassador David Friedman, um, who, uh, as you all know, uh, was the United States ambassador to Israel in the last administration. Uh, David recently published a book, uh, entitled Sledgehammer, uh, which is a memoir of his time in that post, um, which was an incredibly impactful tenure. Uh, we're very pleased, uh, at the OU advocacy center, at the OU advocacy center to have, um, partner with David, uh, as we have with, um, uh, prior ambassadors and administrations, um, for the welfare and security in the state of Israel. Um, and it was a remarkable time, and there's some really uh, great uh, stories and insights in David's new book. Uh, so we're pleased to provide this opportunity for more than a hundred of you in OU leadership uh, to hear uh, a little bit of a conversation with David and uh, and and some reflections. And I actually think some some new insights, at least for me, and I'm sure for other readers that came out of this book. Um, so we're going to jump right into a conversation. Hello, David. How are you? How are things in Jerusalem?
1: Hi, hey, Nathan. How are you? Well, things are always uh special here in Jerusalem, so it's great to be here.
0: thank you so much um so let, let me uh let me start where you start uh, at the beginning of the book uh which is uh, oh, before you became ambassador, obviously when you first got to know uh then businessman not yet president donald trump um and uh in the course of your describing that you you actually write in the book I wrote this down uh that on almost all levels, Donald and I, Donald and you, have nothing in common except devotion to family. Um, and uh, you don't spend a lot of time on this point, but I thought it'd be very interesting for, for the OU audience to hear a little bit more about, you know, how does, what more, what more can you sort of flesh out? There's coming from, uh, you know, an observant, uh, Orthodox Jewish background uh, and engaging in a relationship uh and building a relationship with uh as you say someone who you did not really have much at all in common with
1: well look you know we we had different lifestyles we had different approaches to um to life we had um different priorities we had some different values um you know and I, you know uh, I had uh, I've had I've had one very very special wife for uh forty I hope I get this right. For forty-one years, and um, I think we're approaching forty-two now. And um, uh, you know, uh, live a life of you know, if if you live a, and I try to, I don't I don't pretend to be uh, a paradigm for uh, religious observance, but if you try to hold true to Jewish values, I mean, it's a lifestyle primarily of uh, of of faith, of, of family, of study uh it's uh although this is sometimes observed in the breach it's not supposed to be a uh a, a you know a a lifestyle of uh conspicuous consumption you're not supposed to show off i mean some of us do sometimes but we're not supposed to and uh, you know and donald Trump was a larger than life character he was a he was always a uh, a showman a salesman a entrepreneur a, a media personality he had uh, obviously several uh several marriages to some, uh, you know, high profile, uh, wives. He was always in the news. He, he sought out the attention of, uh, with regard to his, his lifestyle and what he, uh, what he was able to purchase and to consume. And, you know, so uh, yeah, I mean, look, we're very, very different people. Um, and as I point out in the book though, you know, he did have this extraordinary capacity to, uh, you know, to be, um, to be impactful in business on the strength of his personality, I didn't think in those days he would ever be a politician. But, but I did see, you know, from time to time, you know, if I needed something from him, if I needed him to make a phone call to to somebody who was sick, if I needed if I needed him to do something that was, um, you know, kind of a, 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 you know a mitzvah, some some kind of good deed, um, he he would do it. And, and you know, there were better, there were some better angels on his shoulder. And then there were some worse ones that I always felt that, you know, I mean, you know, my relationship with them was, was part, was in part about appealing to the better angels.
0: But, uh, did, did you, did it present your, the difference you described, did it present any difficulty, so to speak, in building a working relationship? I mean, ultimately, obviously you had a close one, but.
1: No, I mean, it was. Was It was, uh, you know, it, it was largely a, a professional relationship. Um, it was one that, uh, as I point out in the book, I had, you know, uh, success in representing him, I think, beyond what uh, what I might have predicted going in, beyond what I, my capabilities probably were. I, mean, I just had the outsized outcomes for him that forced a very strong bond professionally, which, you know, somehow, uh, you know, also bled into into social matters. I mean, the, the most... You know, impactful conversation I had with him was when I was sitting shiver for my father, and he came in a blizzard to pay a shiva call, and no one else was there. So we sat and talked for an hour, and I got to know him a lot better. And um, you know, um, uh, we had you know, if you look at you know, if you envision sort of concentric circles, you know, the the overlap was was small, but it was it was meaningful. And and that's where you know, and that's where I think the relationship sat that enabled me to uh, to, to be impactful as an ambassador
0: uh thank you that's very interesting so jumping ahead um you know to to his own and every most other people's surprise uh mr trump wins the presidency and you ask to be appointed ambassador to israel and he indeed appoints you ambassador to israel um it, it, it was historic in any number of ways including the fact that uh i'm not even sure if all the cabinet secretaries have been appointed but at the point that you were appointed the ambassador to israel mm-hmm. um And you spend a little bit of time in your book about uh, talking about your confirmation process um, and opposition that you had from some elements of the Jewish community um, and that, uh, you know, it was a very partisan environment. So uh, almost all the Democrats, uh, save two, uh, Bob Menendez and Joe Manchin, opposed you. Um, I'd be curious to know, um, you know, as you uh what once you were confirmed and you were doing the work, um did you find um you know any of those um, folks who had voted against you uh, over the course of the work uh came around um and even if they presumably as partisan Democrats still did not like President Trump and the administration in general, were you able to have collaborative working relationships with? Uh, some pro-Israel Democrats uh, on the Hill.
1: Well, I, um, I think so. I, you know, I um, uh, it, it, those those discussions would have been primarily in the context of Democrats visiting Israel. You know, where, where they would they would come to Israel to visit, and many many Democrats came to visit over the over the years. Look, I came to respect um, some of those who voted against me. Um, I, 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 you know, uh, very much. Uh, differently than I would have expected I came I came actually to enjoy my conversations with Tim kane I thought he was actually a a, a very uh, uh, a, a very intelligent and perceptive guy who I thought was trying to get it right you know we would disagree but I thought he wanted to get it right um I'm a fan of uh, of Chris Coons I think he's uh he's got a good heart his uh, his objectives are clearly to support the the state of Israel again may disagree on tactics but in a, in, a, in a civilized, respectful way, um, yeah. You know, I mean, look, there, there there are some good Democrats. I, I hate to paint with a uh, with a broad brush. Um, so look, there yeah there's some stark differences. Um, you know, bipartisanship is important. Uh, it's important. You know, certainly for your organization to to cultivate that in others. Um, my view is, you know, I'll I'm not going to allow I'm not going to die on this on the on the on the hill of bipartisanship if it means diluting my pro-Israel agenda uh, t- sufficiently to the point where, you know, we're no longer doing meaningful things. So that was, you know, but, um, you know, politics is a, uh, is a rough and tumble game. And I, I learned it. Uh, I tried to learn it quickly because I had to jump into a, a very political environment.
0: Well, one of the things that's been interesting in the, in the change of administrations is that, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard and, and, and I've heard the, the, the current ambassador, Tom Nides, uh, President Biden's ambassador to Israel, uh, say many times that, uh, even if he might, uh, disagreed with you on some particular policy initiatives, and he does not disagree with you on all of the things that you pursued, um, he, he, he very quickly says that you really sent the benchmark as being an incredibly impactful, uh, ambassador in terms of the record of accomplishment. And, uh, you know, uh, so at least that kind of
1: recognition is, uh, is bipartisan, so to speak. You no, know, I met him. I met I met Tom today for the first time. Mm. Um, I had lunch with him t- I had lunch with him today. I never met him before. I spoke with him on the phone before. Uh, you know, all politics aside, he's a delightful guy. We had a wonderful uh, we really had a fun lunch and and you know, and, and he he totally gets my point of view and I get his point of view. And um, you know, we, we we said some things that I won't, you know, that are between us, but um but um, you know, certainly from the perspective of You know, is his heart in the right place? Uh, Sure, he he really wants to strengthen the U.S.-Israel relationship. Is he going about it the same way I would? Of course not. But you know, but but you know, we we did have a good conversation.
0: That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, Going back to you know, while you were ambassador, there's a very interesting passage in your book, and I think you made some news with it. I know there were some news articles about it about uh, a certain point at which. you describe President Trump as having some real reservations about Prime Minister Netanyahu. Um, And uh, whether or not, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but basically President Trump says something like, I don't think Bibi is really interested in peace with the Palestinians altogether. Um, And you, uh, as was reported and as in your book, you you put together a mixtape, so to speak, a videotape of uh, some terrible things that the Palestinian leadership uh, said about Jews and about uh, terrorism and things like that, and that, um, and that swayed uh, President Trump's views. Um, but could could you could you maybe fill out the story a little bit more um, about uh, about that that episode?
1: Look, you know, in the early days, this was in early 2017. Uh, I had just gotten uh, uh, appointed, and look, the truth is that you know. Everybody's got an opinion on Israel. I mean, it's just it's just it's just one of those subjects that lots of people have points of view on. And somebody that was close to the president, not in government but knew him well, you know, was was absolutely convinced that Abu Mazen was ready to make peace. He was ready to walk away from all of Jerusalem. He was willing to give up on refugees. He was willing to minimize his uh, territorial claims. And uh, this person, I, I think, well-meaning, said to the president, "Look, you're going to win a Nobel Prize here. It's it's yours for the taking." You just gotta push Bibi. Bibi's the problem. You gotta push Bibi into making peace. Now, you know that was a a point of view given to the president. It it was wrong. It was one hundred and eighty degrees wrong. Abbas was not willing to do any of those things. Uh, Bibi was not diametrically opposed to the idea of peace. But that was that was the president's view. And now he's coming to Israel, and I want I want him to have the facts, at least as I perceive them. I don't want to. I'm not going to mislead him. I'm not going to tell him things that aren't true. But, you know, I wanted to be able to get to him in a relatively short amount of time something which would show him that, you know, Abu Mazen is, in many respects a uh, an apologist for terrorists. Uh, to, I would say in some respects, worse than that. He's someone who uses terrorism uh, to suit his agenda. But he, you know, he keeps it off to the side and he tries to be the good cop. But he controls the bad cops. And he was uh, uh, he's no friend of peace, and he's no uh, peacemaker. Um, I had the Israelis put together kind of a two-minute clip on on the worst things he said. I made it clear. It's got to be intellectually honest. Nothing can be taken out of context. Nothing can be subject to multiple interpretations. And when the president came to Israel, we were in a room, and I suggested that Netanyahu play the tape, and the president saw it, and he was moved by it. The next day, he went to Bethlehem to visit Abbas, who he had already seen in Washington. And he really, uh, you know, he gave him help. He said, you know, who are you? Are you the guy that came to me in Washington, you know, like a elderly statesman, you know, wanting to make peace for your people? Are you this bloodthirsty terrorist? And by the way, why isn't Friedman here? <laughs> to which he said, well, you know, wh- why did you disinvite Friedman? I mean, he, I, 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 I rely on his advice. Why can't I bring him with me? And he says, well, Friedman's the ambassador to Israel. We're not in Israel right now, in Bethlehem. You know, and, 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 I, and, um, and so, and, and, and look, uh, the, the president's view changed. Um, and it, it 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 didn't change for the good or for the bad. It changed for the for the truth. And uh, you know, as I point out in the book, uh, a month or two later, I was in Washington, and I got my my head chopped off by uh, Tillerson and McMaster. They were furious. You know, I didn't really understand.
0: <laughs> Secretary of State. Secretary of State Tillerson and 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 National Security Advisor uh, McMaster.
1: Nope. correct, and you know, I don't think I, I don't think I even understood when I was doing this how controversial it was. But you know, they said to me, um, you know, this is a cheap, uh, a cheap propaganda trick to play a video for two heads of state without clearing it with the secretaries of state or the staff. I mean, how could you do that? And I said, look, I, uh, I thought the president was heading down the wrong path. I needed him to be well informed, and my job is to make, keep the president informed. And if you're not happy, I'm not. I'm sorry if you're not happy, but I don't work for you guys. I work for the president, and. And that's sort of how we kind of set the the working parameters between all of us. I mean, I I worked for the president. I you know, I worked closely with Pierre. We were colleagues, but I worked for the president. I I had I had one I had one person to whom I was obligated, which is by the way, the law. That's the way ambassadorships actually work. Uh, most ambassadors uh, kind of cower uh, in fear in the State Department and want to be want to be accepted, but you know, I work for the president, and,
0: well, and, and look, and, most ambassadors don't have the direct cell phone of the president. So you had a little bit of a competitive advantage there. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and, and and by the way, that's that that is you know, that is you know in, in the the short you know the short the the one sentence description of my job is I had a close relationship with the president, and I was able to deploy that relationship for the for, for what I think and many people think was the good of Israel and the good of the United States without the president's support. You know, no matter how clever I might be or strategic I might be, uh, I couldn't got. I couldn't have gotten any of these things done.
0: But, but I'm curious. I'm curious though. You know, the thought that occurred to me in reading about that episode and you describing it again about his his skepticism about Bibi and then watching the tape is. And I and I don't mean this in a pejorative way. I mean p- politicians and he, Mr. Trump became a politician, right? So politicians change their views and don't necessarily have you know firm commitments on all kinds of things, and they get swayed and moved. What, what did you take away from that episode or others, if anything, about you know what really does Donald Trump, so to speak, believe about Israel?
1: Look, uh, it should make it clear that while Donald Trump has, I believe, done more for Israel than any other president, uh, Donald Trump did not run right. uh, on a pro-Israel platform. Um, he ran on a domestic platform to make America great again. It was mostly based on tax reform and closing the border and um, uh, you know, uh, empowering uh, energy. That was the, so you know, I, I, you know, let's not, you know, I don't want to overstate the case of Donald Trump's um, uh, you know, um, personal uh, 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 beliefs with regard to israel. he had a he had a general uh, view that Israel was, to be respected because of all it accomplished in a tough neighborhood. And he had a, a view that the American people, by and large, supported Israel. And he had a general view that Israel was an important ally and was on the right side of the issues that he cared about. But um, he was not someone who got up in the morning and went to sleep at night thinking, how can I help Israel? I mean, that's what I did. Uh, and um, and what the, the way this clicked was I would be able to make the case to him In a way that he understood that it was good for Israel, good for America, and I I think you know we had a we had a we had a lot of mutual trust, and I had others on the team. I mean, you know, you know, whether it was Jared or 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 Jason or or Pompeo later on, you know, a a very very strong uh, group of people working together that supported Israel as being in the best interests of the of American security and American prosperity. So um, he he assembled a team that was very pro-Israel. He was very receptive to to a pro Israel agenda, but uh, you know where he where he uh, uh, considered his job to be was to protecting uh, and, and 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 making more prosperous the American people.
0: So jumping ahead, right later so a few toward the end of the administration when you when you all uh, when the president unveiled the vision for peace and the proposal. Um, which was which was a bold and historic b- proposal for a whole variety of reasons, but um, literally right in the minutes after it was revealed, there was there was something of a there was something of a controversy, something of a split because Prime Minister Netanyahu um, understood it or was or was interpreting it as he could declare sovereignty in Judea and Samaria that day. Um, and that was clearly—it seemed from the accounts, right—that was not neither the president's view nor, for that matter, Jared's view. Um, so that's—am I correct in understanding? Right. That ties into what you were just describing, right? The president Trump had some broad ideas, but he didn't have a particular view about Beitel or Ali or anything else.
1: Um, and, no, no, no. And 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 I think and look, I think you know we we had that we had that. Um, uh, unfortunate disconnect, which actually ended up being, I think, a fortunate, a fortunate disconnect, because, um, uh, look, I'm, i mean I'm no secret that I, I, I do believe that it's in Israel's interests to, um, on its own. I mean, I, I, think Israel. This is not a. This is, a, I think, what's best for Israel. Has a, its longest border has for fifty odd years, you know, been subject to no national consensus, and it's not because there isn't one. It's because they haven't. Sought to develop it and to and to make the case to the world that I think Israel should be moving forward, um, in in a deliberate way to set its eastern border. Um, here we were talking about uh, Israel, um, recognizing sovereignty over some some parts of Judean Samaria in America, moving forward with it. And we, we had a disconnect on the timing. Uh, I explained it in the book. It was really, um, we, had a different, we had a different understanding as to how long it would take to do that within the, inter- the Israeli internal procedures. It turned out that while places like Beit and Ely could not have been the subject of an immediate turning on the switch for internal Israeli reasons, you know, Begatai Ardain, the Jordan Valley, could have been done that day. And, um, and we didn't understand that it was that soon. And so it created... A couple of very difficult weeks. Um, there was some friction. I think you know Netanyahu felt that he had one understanding. Jared felt another. I was in the middle trying to. to, to but but we got past it. I mean, the, the important thing is that not only did we get past it, but we got past it with, I think, a very, you know, a very uh, 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 strategic and clever way of moving forward. That we were going to move forward with the sovereignty um, agenda, but we also recognized because as this was happening. Um, we were getting, you know, the, the Saudis that had been wed to the Arab Peace Initiative, which they wrote for, for a generation, which is on one page. Also, the Saudis come and say, this is a good plan, even though the Palestinians want to rip it up. And the Saudis say, this is a good plan. I think America should, America should continue to supervise. Now, remember, this is a plan which gives, um, you know, which in which not a single home in Yudava Shomron, not a single Jewish home, is evacuated. And not only do the... Jews remain in Yerushalayim in their communities, but they have room to expand. So, and the Saudis are saying, you know, this is a good first shot. Let's let's keep it going. The Emiratis were saying the same thing. Morocco was saying the same thing. You know, four or five countries in the EU were telling us that. So we're moving on a sovereignty program, but a lot of these countries are saying, look, we're with you. We just just slow down a little bit on the sovereignty. So we're not sure where this is all going, but we're on a path where you know we're either going to, you know, move forward and end up with some historical territorial recognition with regard to Judea and Samaria, or we're going to put it off for a while. We're not going to cancel it. We're not going to say we're not doing it, but we're going to put it off and we're going to get, you know, what became the Abraham Accords. And so, you know, um, I wasn't sure which way it was going to head, but, you know, I sort of felt we're heading in the right direction. And in the end, you know, the question is what, who's going to jump in and say, yeah got it. Go no
0: I want to come back to the abraham accords in a minute but 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 just before we get to that um you know i i i think uh I think it's pretty clear and then you you said it um that you know a core if you wanted to really right describe the approach that you all took um you know leading up to that moment where you sort of transitioned to the abraham accords and and in a sense the underlying uh the subtitle of your book, "How Breaking with the Past Brought Peace to the Middle East," is you and your colleagues um, threw out all the conventional wisdom that animated, uh, you know, what might have been called the peace process industry in Washington for decades, sure. um, and uh, you know how what this what the sequencing was right. You couldn't deal with other Arab countries until you solved the Palestinian issue. That land for peace was the central issue, and and all these different things. Um, and there were many uh you know the o u among them and and many many others who, who for a very long time said you know that's all nonsense but um you you all were able to actually be the uh scientific experiment so to speak of showing you the you know the alternative the alternative hypothesis um i'm curious to i'm curious to know um you know there are there are some people who had been for years and years and involved in the peace process. Um, who are good people and who are have some intellectual honesty? I'm I'm curious to know, you know, just like I asked you before, what happened afterwards with some of those politic Democratic politicians? Um, I would not expect everybody who had dedicated decades to the old fa- old version of the peace process to sort of say, you know, hey, you guys did some good stuff, but some folks must have, and 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 you don't need to name names, but like, what insights can you give us into?
1: Look, some of the, the, the there are there you know I would divide these uh, experts into two into two groups. One are the the true experts who see this as evolving and are open minded and are happy to have honest conversations, and you you could probably figure out who they are. And then there are those who are very parochial about their role and think that um, you know anybody who hasn't been doing this for thirty years has no right even you know getting into the discussion. And you know again you can just go back and look on Twitter and figure out well, you know who's who. But um, you know, so so we we and, and look, we were we brought in a bunch of people uh, who were um, involved in this um, from the past. Got their thoughts. Their primary their primary view was that, look, it's very creative. It's very, but the Palestinians are never going to take it. Okay, and we knew that anyway. So I mean, that wasn't really a, much of a, of a news flash for us. We knew the Palestinians weren't going to take it. Why did we do it anyway? Did it anyway for a couple of reasons. Number one, we demonstrated that the Israelis want peace. We demonstrated that the Israelis are willing to give up territory for peace. We also demonstrated that you'd have to be crazy to make peace with the Palestinians until they reform. I mean, I ask my friends on the left all the time, the Palestinian Authority, forget about Hamas, which everybody agrees, I mean, no one has an answer to Hamas right now, right, which is obviously a massive impediment to to any peace deal with the Palestinians. Palestinian Authority has no real system of justice. They will, it's, it's, it's a capital offense if you broker a sale of land from a uh, Arab to a Jew, they have um, they they are um, extraordinarily misogynistic. They outlaw um, homosexuality illegal in the Palestinian Authority. I tell my friends on the left, you want to put your fingerprint on that Palestinian state. I mean, is that really what you want to work so hard to do to, to create a palace? I mean, so the difference between I think the left and the right on this, and it's not just me versus you know Martin Indyk, but is you know we actually see things for what they are and not for we don't, we don't we don't we don't do aspirational plans and put people's lives at risk based upon a naked promise that things will be better i mean we understand you can't do that so you know we don't believe in you know gadgets and gizmos along the jordan valley you know to warn israelis in the event of a an attack from the east when every military you know person that i know says israel's got to be in the jordan valley to defend itself we don't um, we, we we don't give the palestinians a free pass when um, when when they have no system of justice, and the likely it is that they're going to make they're going to continue to, to be corrupt and make their people so miserable that there'll be a revolution and somebody else will come in. You know, we want to know what we're dealing with. You know, we don't think of Abu Mazen. We think Abu Mazen's you know not long for this world, and somebody else will come in. So we just sort of recognize the realities, and we recognize you know primarily that they you know that the Palestinians have no ability to control Hamas, that they're 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 corrupt, um, they're they're tribal, they're not unified. And so um, Israel can, and is really in this part, unlike, you know, with Gaza, where, I mean, it, it was a huge mistake to get out, but it wasn't it wasn't an existential mistake. Israel does not have a margin of error in Judea and Samaria. It makes a mistake and gives over this territory to the wrong people. It it, it gets cut in half. So that's just, you know, that's just the way we look at it. I mean, we will never ask Israel to, to take risks that no other, you know, country would take with regard to its own people. and. You know the, uh, the the elites would like to um, you know they, they, there's this great you know they also say well you know you make peace with your enemies, not with your friends, and you know my response is yeah but you make peace with your former enemies, not your current enemies. Your current enemies you you defeat. Your former enemies you can make peace with. And right now there 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 are no former enemies right now uh, to make peace with. They're all they're all still enemies.
0: Um, is, and 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 I would just add like, I mean, we jumped over it. The historical relocation of the embassy to Jerusalem, you know, uh, was also a, a critical step in blowing up, dare I use that term, uh, the, the conventional wisdom, you know, that, uh, for decades folks had said, oh, that'll, that'll inflame the Middle East and so on and so forth. And, uh, and, and importantly, it showed that, um, you know, it, it, it didn't motivate the Palestinians to, to, to move off of where they're at, but it showed that you know they just can't sit on their hands and not and not lose things um, and wait for somebody else to deliver what they want on a silver bladder with no concessions whatsoever.
1: I think it was the most important thing we did, and you know we get most of our credit we get for the Abraham Accords, and happy to take credit wherever it comes. But uh, it all got set in motion when we moved the embassy. Um, we called we called the Palestinians bluff. They, they, you know, people thought that they could set the world on fire. Well, they they didn't set the world on fire. Nobody was interested in uh, in following the Palestinians into battle here, um, and for one really significant reason, because everybody knows that Jerusalem's the capital of Israel. It wasn't like we were, it wasn't like we were making this up. You know, I mean, people aren't stupid. They know Jerusalem's the capital of Israel, both historically, uh, both uh, you know, biblically, and, and 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 practically in terms of how Israel runs its government. So uh, doing that. Um, you know, it, it, people saw first of all, it, it became incredibly, uh, popular domestically and people noticed that, um, the, um, the, the, the Palestinians, um, the veto was broken and, and everybody in the sun came up the next morning. And, um, and so from there we had two things going for us. We had, we had domestic politics, um, was now being proven to be very pro-Israel, at least among the people that voted for the president. And, um, and more important, um, people. He saw, mentioned the, he mentioned the embassy move in, in rally speeches
0: where there were probably not, there were not many Jews present.
1: <laughs> if there were not many Jews present. You know, I remember one in particular, Evanston, Indiana. I mean, 20,000 people, I doubt there were five Jews. The biggest applause line. The biggest applause line was the moving the embassy. And then, and then, and then the, and then the other thing was, you know, we started to show the world, the region in particular, that you know, America can be trusted. You know, whereas America could be a really, really good friend to its allies in the region. And you know, the UAE recognized. I mean, the UAE is never going to have a relationship with the US like it has like the US has with Israel. But the UAE says, you know what, we want to have that relationship too, where we're where we're a trusted ally, where we join this this circle of of, of not just common interests, but real trust. And, and uh and and reliability. And you know, and Bahrain came in and, and the Saudis are not there yet. They they, they will be, um, I mean assuming assuming, you know, if we were still in power they, they would be and of course, you know, you fly from Tel Aviv to uh Abu Dhabi, ninety percent of the flights over Saudi airspace, which was unthinkable two years ago. So um it it was really um it was really, you know, what we showed um to to our you know Gulf allies was that the relationship between the United States and Israel can be scaled beyond just the U.S. and Israel, with you know, with with a common level of trust, and that really more than anything is what what what, what led to uh, the Abraham Accords. You know, uh, the, these other countries wanted to be like Israel; they wanted to be with Israel in this you know in this uh, relationship with the United States.
0: So, so of course, right? The the um, the Abraham Accords are are also historic, and um, you know the. Uh... I know the UAE ambassador in particular likes to talk about how, you know, the work on their bilateral relationship has, has, you know, not slowed down at all. The relationship is getting deeper and wider. I'm sure that's true with the other countries as well, you know, but every, everybody's wants to know, okay, so who's next? Um, and, um, you're, you're, you're not in government at the moment, but you're a close observer of these things. And, and what, what insight could you give us in terms of, and, and by the way, to the Biden administration has said, "We we love the Abraham Accords. We want to expand the circle." Also, mm-hmm. um, presumably, they're a little bit preoccupied right now with Ukraine and some other things. Uh, to be fair, but um, what, what what do you see uh, from your vantage point of you know who and potentially when other countries might join the Abraham Accords circle?
1: Well, you know, Nathan, right now I th- I think right now nobody's next, and the reason nobody's next is because um, of the way we're approaching Iran, um, the um, I think the Saudis are furious. I think the Emiratis are furious. I mean, they won't come out and say it, but you know what I'm hearing from people is, I mean, I think the Israelis are. Uh, the Israelis can't be as furious because of the relationship that the Israeli government has with the U.S. government, so they're gonna they're gonna try to be more. Um, you know, they're, they're gonna try to figure out how to get through this thing. But you know, giving uh, you know. Look, I, giving Iran two hundred billion dollars is just an unthinkable outcome right now. But they will they will not use that money to build schools and build hospitals. And um, what the Biden administration has now signaled to the world is, you know, if you're a nuclear power, we're just we're just not going to get in your way. Um, you know, that's the that's really the the message of Ukraine, right? Um, I don't want to start World War III. Well. You know, the America, America's not going to get into World War III if it provides arms to Ukraine unless it provokes Russia to use nuclear weapons, even tactical nuclear weapons. And so the message, which is a ridiculous message, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just frustrated uh, beyond words, but the message that Biden is now giving the world is, look, if you're a NATO country and Article 5 is invoked, you know, the United States will honor its pledge. By the way, I don't believe it. I don't believe the United States is going to war for Estonia or for Romania. I don't believe it, but that's what Biden is saying. But if you are not a NATO country, uh, and Article Five is not invoked. We don't want to provoke World War 3, which means that any country that that attacks any of our allies that has nuclear capabilities, we're going to sit it out, or we're going to or we're going to we're going to impose some sanctions or provide some weapons, you know, maybe. But we're not we're not going to war anymore. And that in and, and that message is um, a It's telling every country you are on your own, including Israel, and it is. Um, uh, in terms of the Abraham Accords, like the Abraham Accords, in every case, every deal was different, but you always had Israel and a country that it was normalizing with at the base of the triangle, with the United States at the apex. Now, the United States would be doing different things with each country at the apex, whether it was you know whether it was giving you know military assurances, giving uh, diplomatic assurances, uh, you know Sudan taking them off the terror. I mean, all kinds of things that were all appropriate in each case, but the U.S. was an active participant. You know these were all new relationships, and the United States had to nurture them and be active in them um and one of the factors was the fact that everybody was opposed to iraq and uh and and we trusted you know all these countries, including Israel, and trusted the United States that it would be opposed <laughs> to Iraq. So where we are today, I don't know where it's going. I mean, I hear different things about whether they're closer or not, or what you know I think the Russian war has made it much more complicated but um um. We, 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 this is a, um, you know, going back into JCPOA2 will make it much harder to scale the Abraham Accords. I hope it's temporary. I hope there's no deal. It was temporary, but, but that's, you know, now had we still been in power, you know, Saudi Arabia was, was by far the, the big fish. They're the you know custodians of the, uh, of the, of the Muslim holy sites. I think you can, you know, you'll make the case they're the leader of the Muslim world. You know, that would have, I think really, you know, Meaningful way brought an end to the Arab-Israeli conflict as we have known it historically, uh, and I think that'll still happen. But I think we're just just going to take some more time. I don't think it's happening um, in the current environment. I just don't think the uh, the U.S. is providing enough assurances to these countries to get there. But I hope it changes.
0: Um, do you do you, um, just we just have a couple minutes left, and and I've tried to weave some questions that we got submitted ahead of time into into my questions to you. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, um, going back to what the conventional wisdom was before your administration. So, um, you know, it wasn't only Democratic administrations that pursued the peace process and two-state solution and so on and so forth, right? George W. Bush had his Annapolis conference. George H.W. Bush convened Madrid, so on and so forth. Um, Where do you see – let's put aside the question of whether or not Donald Trump is going to run for president again. I don't want to get into that. But, uh, you know, where do you see, uh, as, as someone who is, has served in a Republican administration and is involved um, in Republican political and policy circles, where do you, do you think that the, your, the Trump administration's approach has changed the trajectory of the Republican Party with regard to policy toward Israel and the Middle East in general, um, such that? Whoever comes next is is going to be operating in a different framework than what came before the Bushes and Reagan, et cetera.
1: Yes, and I and I think that's the that's one of the uh, side benefits of the peace plan that we put out because it is the only plan that has ever received the you know really unqualified endorsement of the Israeli security establishment as well as the as well as Prime Minister Netanyahu. So why wouldn't you start there? In other words, you know, you could, you could make up something else that everybody's going to hate, but why not start with something that at least, you know, without, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's things that have to be changed, but why not start from a place where your most important ally in the Middle East says, I'm willing to negotiate on this basis? I mean, to throw that is crazy. Because first of all, you know, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on that many things. I am absolutely an expert in Israeli politics. I know where the country can go. I know where the Israeli people can go. Okay. We all saw what happened in 2005 in, in Gaza, almost a civil war evacuating 8,000 people from a remote part of the country. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get 100,000 Jews to leave the biblical heartland of the state of Israel or more and not leave it. They're not going, and Israel should not expose itself to that type of internal political turmoil. So let's start with what we got. We, you know, we, we got something that kind mm-hmm. of makes sense. I mean, the Palestinians will have a bigger footprint. They'll have, a, they'll have, you know, a much better economy. They'll have infrastructure. They'll have a state in a, in a hypothetical sense. They won't control their security or their airspace, or their electromagnetic spectrum, you know, or their borders, but they'll have as much, you know, as and this is Netanyahu's line. They'll have as much uh, autonomy as does not threaten the state of Israel, and that's what this plan provides. And why not start there? And I think the Republicans are prepared to to go there. I mean, everyone I talk to, and I talk to lots of, you know, potential future presidents that. This is what makes sense to them, you know. I mean, you want to call it a state? It's not a state. I mean, it's not a state as we, as we, you know, think of a state. But you know, you want to have something realistic which gives the Palestinians more and better life without threatening Israel. This is this is the plan, and I think a lot of Republicans will embrace it in the future.
0: Um, Well, uh, it's been great talking with you. Uh, I don't know if you want to close out with any. Topics we have not touched on, um, um, but uh, I'll give you a chance to do that.
1: Well, look, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give up the opportunity. First of all, to say thank you for, um, you know, uh, I, I was a, I was a, I was a lightning rod, you know, among American Jews, and, uh, you know, some organizations, uh, you know, were were supportive, and I, you know, and some weren't, and, and those that were supportive. I deeply appreciate the support. It's not like you know. It's not like I live on an island. I I I needed it at times, and I was happy to have it. So thank you for the support I got over the four years that I was in office. The second thing, you know, uh, Nathan, you know, you're, you're, you've been doing this a long time. Uh, we're, we're I think we're we're approaching a fairly precarious point in the um, both you know in the internal in an in internal Jewish life in America, uh, both because of the physical threats that we're facing and because of the uh, assimilation that is rampant in the universities that will not, you know, present Israel uh, fairly. Uh, and of course, we have all these, you know, issues around the world that we didn't have last year. Um, just be, you know, to, to you and everyone who's listening. And all, I mean, be active. I mean, this is this is not the time <laughs> to take a uh, take a snooze. Be active. I mean, I I endorse. I mean, I think I endorse all your points of view. And 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 I and I'm, I'm happy that you're uh, you're active and and engaged. And I, I want to wish you. Uh, great luck, great great success moving forward. Because again, the 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 OU needs to be heard right now.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, I'll, I'll use that for, as an opportunity to plug uh, for those who are on. Well, you're probably on because you got our email invitation to this. But uh, if not, go to advocacy.ou.org and sign up for our action alerts and uh, and be involved in in all of our work, both in support of Israel's security and welfare, and also on key domestic policy issues. Um, uh, as, as as the host I will I will also say sledgehammer is still available uh wherever you get uh, your books um it's 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 a it's a good read and I uh, really appreciate uh David uh Ambassador David Friedman for for joining us this a- afternoon um and wish you all a great day and uh Erev Tobin
1: Yerushalayim. thank you so much take care it was good to be with you thank you